RadioInfluence.com. You've seen Chef Brian Duffy on Spike TV's Bar Rescue, NBC's Today Show, and opening bars and restaurants all over the world. Now he's sharing his stories, his friends, and some tips of the trade he's learned along the way. Prepare yourself to get Duffified. This is Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. Good morning, my friends. It is Friday, February 23rd, 2018. Uh, while you guys are hearing this, I am on my way down to Atlanta. Uh, I am going to be down in Atlanta. If you guys are from Atlanta, near Atlanta, uh, I don't give a shit. You live in Georgia. Come on and say hi. We are going to be um, down here for the uh, Tau Kappa Epsilon Um which is uh, the leadership kind of forum that these guys put on every year. And I was made an honorary member a couple months ago, and I now get to go to this awesome place. So here we go. Welcome to Duffified Live Friday morning. We are super happy to be back with you guys. We, it's me and Jason. Jason's hiding in the background over there. Um, and a couple of things coming up that I want you guys all to know about. Like I said, one, I'm going to be in Atlanta uh, this weekend, so definitely stop by and say hi. I'll be in Wildwood, New Jersey, uh, March 1st and 2nd, and then 4, 5, 6, because I'm going to be down there. We're getting ready to do training at the new property that we're opening up called the Munhead Brewery. Love to see you guys come by. March 8th, stop by and see me up in Providence, Rhode Island at Jennifer Bem's restaurant. We're going to be doing a big old charity event. I'd love to have you guys come up and have some grub with us. Uh, we got some really cool sponsors for the event. We're going to have a lot of fun, and uh, we're going to feed you guys. We're going to feed you guys pretty well. It's going to be a really neat event. Um, from there, I get to fly down to Fort Myers, Florida. We get to hang out with my buddies, uh, Kevin Offerman, and the whole crew at the City Tavern on Bay. Um, we'll be down there. We're going to be slinging corned beef and cabbage cheese steaks. Uh, we're going to be hanging out in the town. Uh, so if you are a fan, a friend of the city tavern, I want to meet you because I fucking love this place. Then after that, I fly directly out to Vegas. We're going to be in Vegas for about six days for the nightclub and bar show, which happens on March 26th. Right now, I highly suggest that you go to the site and you check out the code, okay, to get on to the nightclub and, and nightclub and bar floor. So that's where I need to see you guys now. So uh, this week on the show, um, normally I kind of get involved in, uh, you know, I'll talk about some eater stuff or whatever that's going on. There's really not a tremendous amount that's going on, man. You know, it's kind of been like a really quiet little world um, uh, in the food industry over the last week. One, we had Super Bowl, you know, a couple weeks ago. Go birds, baby. Go birds. Super happy about that. Um, there has been uh, it's just been really kind of quiet. You know, there's not a whole lot of stuff that's been going on, and I'm cool with that. I, I like that because it means that the restaurant industry is humming along. Um, there's some cool stuff. So uh, let's hop into our next set of guests. Um, these these two women, um, I, uh, I, I have not met them yet, but I've talked to them on the phone. And I've kind of followed their stuff for a little while because, look, two very attractive Italian women living in Boston um, who ran their own – hair salon for 20 plus years, um, decided that, uh, they were kind of tired of that. So they wanted to do something a little bit different. So inspired by their mom and, uh, grandmother's classic recipes, all Italian, by the way, um, 
These two ladies, uh, known as Carla Pallotta and Christine Pallotta, decided to open up Nebo Cucina and Enateca um, in their in their kind of in the neighborhood where they grew up, which is in Boston's North End. Um, the kind of story about these two ladies is really cool. One, because they're a very dynamic uh, duo when you put them together, and they're kind of fun uh, individually as well. Like I said, I had a conversation with these guys. I really hope that you guys enjoy this because they're just a boatload of fun. So ladies and gentlemen, do me a favor. Welcome the chef owners from Nebo, Cucina and Ateca, uh, Carla Pallotta and Christine Pallotta. Good morning, ladies. Good morning. Oh, my mother was calling me as I'm talking to you guys. <laughs> Are you calling Christina's phone separately? His mother's calling him. We just no, I'm not. We can't talk after this. <laughs> I am. I am calling you guys both directly right now. So when you guys are ready to hop on the phone, we're ready to rock and roll. Okay. So you're gonna hang up and then call us back? No, no, we're good. We're gonna we're gonna keep the phone call going on this one. Okay. Yeah, I can hear you. Speak a phone and no. Sure, put it on speakerphone. That way we'll be able to hear both you guys. Beautiful. Perfect. Can you guys hear me okay? We can hear you fine. Can you hear us? Yeah, perfect. So that was Carla who was just talking. Christine, can you talk for me for a sec? Hi, it's Christine. Perfect. Awesome. Okay, um, so we're going to go uh, in about 10 seconds. We're going to go right into it. And basically, I've already introduced you guys. Um, so we're going to be ready to rock and roll. Um, what I'm going to do real quick, actually, is I what, say it again. Brian? Yes? You know that we're on one phone because you just said you were going to talk to both of us. I am going to talk to both of you guys and we're just going to talk over the speakerphone. The only thing that I ask is you both don't try to talk at the same time. Oh, good luck. Good luck with that. <laughs> and if, if you guys could hold the phone just a little bit closer to your, to your faces. Yep. Then we get a much better audio with that. How we doing? We're doing good. All right, cool. Okay. So uh, we're going to, what's that? Should have had our mothers on. We would have had more fun. Well, yeah. We, well, I can call my mother. <laughs> now she's the Irish side, but we, you know, we're, we're good with all that as well. I'm actually going to have my mother on the Mother's <laughs> Day episode. So, all right. Um, okay. Are you guys ready to rock and roll? We're going to go in 10. And again, I've already introduced you guys, so I'm just going to say, ladies, welcome, good morning, and we're going to go right into it. Cool. Okay. All right, here we go. And uh, five, four, three, two, one. Good morning, ladies. Welcome to the show. Thank good you. Morning. Good morning. <laughs> so what's going on in Boston today? Oh, well, the sun finally came out, so we are a little happier today. Oh, we had a lot it's of rain like over there. Oh, rainy, dreary, depressing. We don't belong here. If we didn't have a restaurant in Boston, we'd be far out of here, fast. <laughs> where's your Where's your go-to vacation spot? I uh, love Miami in the winter. Okay. I just love to ski, love to fish. I mean, that can't help us. Love yeah, to get I... a sunburn. <laughs> you guys don't burn, though. You don't have that, uh, that fair Irish skin. You've got that good Italian olive skin. No. We have now. We <laughs> it since what did what did you say? 
We still have tans now. It hasn't faded since the summer. <laughs> See, I'm Irish. I just, I turned jet black. And then in like a week and a half, I'm back to my pale self again. <laughs> well, at least you tan. Yeah. Yeah, I'm happy with it. Well, I've got that Ita- I've got that Italian skin in me. I'm good. I had, you know, my grandmother's in Adorado. We're good. Oh, you're fine then. You're good. Beautiful last name. Thank you very much. She was a beautiful, beautiful woman. This was a woman who got divorced in 1946. She and got raised- divorced in 1946. She got divorced in 1946. My father was two years old, and uh, she raised she my was father. A rebel. She was a full blown rebel. She was a badass lady. It. I actually have her, I have her passport and it was filled up, man. She was in China before Nixon. She rode a a camel through the Khyber pass at the age of 70 years old. Oh my gosh. She's a visionary. The badass is what she was. She was a super cool chick. Yeah. So, so why don't you guys do me a favor real quick? One, tell me who you are. Um, Cause I did a nice little introduction about you guys prior to, but it's always nice to hear from you guys. So who are you guys? So a little about us. I'm Carla, and my sister's name is Christine. And so, personally, you want to know about us? Or business yeah, I want to know. So let's do this. How can we get in touch with you guys through social media first? Because in this world of social media, you know, it's I don't ask for your phone number anymore. I ask for your Twitter handle. So that's Christine because I know nothing about social media at all. She's the pro on that one, so she's going to help you with that one. Well, I have a couple of Facebook pages. One's Carla Christine Pilata, and then the other one is Nebo Restaurant Pilata Sisters. And then I have an Instagram account that is, well, I have two Instagram accounts. I have Nebo Restaurant Pilata Sisters, and then I have another one that's Bar Nebo. Ah, Nebo. I love it. Okay. And then we have a Twitter, which is at Two Sisters Nebo. Okay. I think that's all I have. I like, I mean, that's, that's five, that's five, five accounts there. Rock and roll. That alone is a full-time job. Yes, it is. And I do it. And that's the way that it should be. I'm not a big fan of people doing other people's Twitter and all that stuff. I I do my own. You know, it needs to be your own voice. And when other people do it, it's never my voice. And it just, I find it very agitated. And I'm like, I would never speak like that. I would never post. So I I do it. Christine has a really dry sense of humor and she's very quick-witted. Right. And so the whole difference on all of our, our accounts is Christina's voice that makes right. all the difference. In- and that's the way that it should be. I know years ago I started, I actually have two, I, so I have a, my main Twitter account and then I have a secret Twitter account that nobody knows about um, that I get to go and I, I basically get to talk shit about people, ladies. It's the way that it works. I was just going to say, that's where you talk shit, right? That's right. <laughs> I full blown talk shit. I talk to Trump almost every single day. <laughs> To let him know, get off the goddamn phone and run our country. Um, but uh, I had posted something a long time ago, about probably about five or six weeks into doing it, and somebody had replied back to me and said, "You, your, your, your grammar is very much like Chef Brian Duffy's." And I thought, oh, "Shit, shit, <laughs> no!" Somebody found out who I am, so I literally like blocked them from the account and then full blown like deleted them from any part of the world that I lived in. So that is beautiful. Obviously you have good branding if they know notice right away. Well for me I do a lot of um excessive use of punctuation. So oh I try to do that a lot too. 
Oh, I love it. A lot of exclamation points, typically three. Yes. I am the king of the three-dot finish. Yes. Yep, that's me. <laughs> we, we're we're going to tweet well together there, Carla. Oh, or no, gosh. Christine, you're the tweeter, right? I'm the tweeter. I'm the, I'm the Instagram. I'm everything. My, okay. my husband actually, this is Carla. My husband always says this. Christine, end any sentence without putting an exclamation point in it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like I'm pounding, it's like I'm pounding my fist. I want you to hear it. Exactly. You're, you're, that's exactly right. Just keep hitting the desk as hard as you can. That's right. <laughs> All right. So let's get in. Let's get. Let's start talking here. So you guys grew up on the north end of Boston. We did. We grew up in Little Italy, um, and it's a neighborhood that's about three quarters of a mile by three quarters of a mile. And we grew up with all our family members right in the same neighborhood. So my um, mother's sister lived across the street with her husband. My uh, father's sister lived on the same street with her children. My aunt and uncle lived a couple of blocks over. So we were surrounded by family all the time. And so the dynamics of our family are really funny. My father was one of seven, and his mother died when she was 26 years old. And he was the oldest at seven years old. So they were orphans. And uh, his father couldn't take care of them. So everybody went into... um, an orphanage except for my father. They put him to work so that he could keep on putting money away and little by little take the kids out of the orphanage. At 13 years old, he took them out one by one. No way. So he was really the patriarch of the family. The story is incredible. He went at seven years old. My father, seven and a half years old, started working um, three jobs. So he worked in a strip joint in Scully Square. At seven. um, in the middle of the night, yep. And he would work there till two o'clock in the morning washing dishes. This was seven and a half years old. Oh he'd get up in the morning. He would um, sell newspapers. And then he'd go to school. And then in the afternoon, he would shine shoes. And this was on seven and a half on. So then one by one, he took the, the last, all the kids out of the orphanage. So he was really the patriarch in that family. Sure. And my mother was the opposite. My mother had a whole bunch of siblings older than her. And then there was my grandmother's husband died and she remarried my mother's father. And so 14 years later, the age of almost 46, my grandmother had my mother. So my mother was the baby. Oh, wow. And, and she's, she's, you said she's 83 now, right? She'll be 84 next month. 84. Okay. She'll be 84. So in our house, my father was a patriarch and my mother was the youngest. And because my mother was the youngest during you know, all the hard times, um, you know, the war and everything. My mother didn't live through that. So her siblings really had it tough. My mother had a nice life with just her mother in the household. My mother learned all the recipes and all the cooking and stuff because she was alone at home with her mother and her mother had the time to do it. So every single night in the North End, we were the gathering house. So it was my father's family with their children. We have a crap load of cousins all around (laughs) the same age. You can curse. We've been through this. You could say shitload, yeah. good. I mean, a shitload of cousins. And my mother's family, um, she was the baby and the only one that really knew how to cook, so everybody came over. So literally every single night, we had company in our house. And it didn't matter whether we were, you know, 10 of us or 25 of us. We had four rooms. We lived in a tenement building. My mother would get a table and spread it from the kitchen into the living room, and she would literally feed everybody every single night. I mean, we just didn't know who was coming over. So we grew up in this super neighborhood. We didn't know anything outside of it. It was like being in Italy. All the doors were open to everybody's houses. We went up and down the stairs. We had a bookie that lived upstairs. He was considered rich. 
He had the first colored TV in the neighborhood, wow. and he had a Baca lounger chair that vibrated. So he used to let us go up there and uh, play on the chair and watch the TV and stuff. And his house was always open. Sure. And um, then the lady upstairs on the top floor, we went in and out of her house. She had kids in her late, their late teens. We were much younger at the time. So we used to run in and out of her house. And literally, we had a roof deck. And this woman used to let us connect a hose down the side of the building attached to her kitchen sink so that we could have a, a running shower up on the roof deck. Oh, my God. And we had a pool up there and stuff. So it was like one big family. And that was, it was very common to live like that in the North End. I mean, everybody's doors were open. Everybody right. climbed from roof to roof. So it was great. And so this is, you know, all our Italian heritage. It was like being in Italy. Everything, everybody shared and was open doors. But what, what an amazing way to grow up with that open sense of community that we don't have anymore. You know, I mean, I, my, my best friend, my oldest best friend, she, I met her when she was four years old. My parents, Irish Catholic, moved into this uh, wealthier neighborhood that they bought in 1974. Um, and uh, the first person who came up and knocked on the door was four years old. And she walked about a block and a half up the street, knocked on the door and said, my name is Paula McKenna. And I want to know if you have any children that I can play with. Oh, that's cute. Because she was one of eight kids. Her old, her next closest sibling was 10 years older than her. And she is to this day, my oldest best friend from, wow. from 1974. And she's, you know, but, but that's, that's what it was. We all grew up in this world where you couldn't get away with shit because guess what? My parent, when I just stole my father's car and hit the garage, my neighbors <laughs> called my father at the restaurant where he was having dinner and they left and came and picked me up at my girlfriend's house. <laughs> so it was well, a great way to grow up. It was. We're, we're very lucky. We have a core group of friends that still, they grew up like we did and um, we could just drop in their house. I mean, literally in our pajamas and we'll go hang out we sleep over and i mean it's just that old old-fashioned feeling that we love you know we have a million friends a million acquaintances but there's this core group of friends that just you could call you could show up in the middle of the night you can swear fight cry you could do anything with but it's that open house policy and it's absolutely beautiful i'm, I'm so grateful that i still have that yeah i mean it when when we were when we were growing up as kids, we had the older kids in the neighborhood who used to, you know, the parents would sit on the front porch. I don't know what it is that they did in the 70s and 80s, drank, smoked weed, who knew what it was. But <laughs> the kids were all gone because the older kids would take us to the park and we would pile, you know, 10 kids in a car. You know, we would fight for who would sit on the floor underneath of the passenger seat yeah, because that's funny. where the room was, you know, and yeah. and. For me, uh, as a dad and me, I love community. I love everybody around. I'm the guy who takes, you know, I take 10 girls up to, you know, go, go, go tubing down a mountain in the middle of central Pennsylvania. And I'm cool with that. I don't care about that. But there, that, that part of community is missing. And it's, it's sometimes it's kind of sad to watch now because I think we all yeah. did really well. I think it's terrible now, actually, because honestly – the social media took over everything. The kids don't even sit in the same room. In our restaurant, it blows my mind sometimes. We'll have 20 kids sitting together. I'm talking 20, 20 years old, 25, whatever, sitting at a table, and not one of them is talking to each other. They're all on their phone. I'm like, what are you, are you doing on your phone? You're here with your friends, supposed to be socializing. Who the hell are you texting? Like, yes. 
I'm confused with this. And I just stare at them. And I even, honestly, too, most of the parents you see come in and they have an iPod for their children instead of taking the time to talk and, and tell stories. I miss those stories so much that my parents yeah. told me, my father especially. And they're sitting there and the kid's watching a movie on an iPad. Not even dinner, involved. Not involved at all. And then you wonder why the kids grow up and they have no social skills. It's like, well, of course they don't. They don't yeah. know how to speak. I mean, it's... it's I have a 17 year old, I have a 17 year old daughter. And one of the, uh, one of the big things with, with us is, and, and it really just kind of hit me in the last two years is she's leaving me in a year and a half. She's going to college in a year and a half. So we've really all kind of made a pact that we're trying to be on, not on our phone. So we kind of take the phone away from the dining room table. Um, we're trying to, you know, we lay down at the end of every night together. We all sit, we do a little thing called roses and thorns, which is the roses are the happy parts of the day. The thorns are the negative parts of the day. And we try to finish the day that way because it, it's, you know, I mean, it's one of those things that's just really important to do that we don't, that we just don't do anymore. And you better answer. <laughs> I know. No, that's you know, that's my buddy, Chef Nick Liberato, who's calling me from L.A. right now. And I keep hanging up on him. But he keeps calling back. <laughs> he wants to know how to make a soup play. He he's, oh, you know what? Hold on. Let's get him on. Hey, Nick, Let's Nick Liberato. Good morning, Nick Liberato. You are you are on you're live on Duffified Live with me. And we're talking to Christine and Carla uh, Parada. Pilatas. It's the Pilatas. It's the Pilatas from Northeast Boston, dude. They're on the phone. They're on Duffified Live right now with hey, us. Hey, the Pilatas. Hey, great game last week, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, li Nick lives in L.A. But it's from yeah, it was all, well. Nick lives in L.A., but he's actually from Philadelphia. His grandparents had one of the first produce stands down in the Italian market in Philadelphia. Okay, so that's what my family business. Fly Eagles fly. <laughs> hey, Brian, real quick. Businesses. I'm sorry, say it again. Those were my family's businesses. My father's uh, family, they call them the kings of the watermelons. They have the largest watermelon business in New England. And yeah. my mother's uh, brother, that's what they did, all produce. So we started off the same way. That's, you know, I, I mean, I try to get down there as much as I can. It's changed a lot. It's no longer Italian. It's a little bit more on the Asian and Mexican side, but, but still there's, there's something about those open air markets that are, that are just awesome. Guess what guys, we got a new sponsor on Duffified Live. I like to sing and dance and talk about it, but in this case, I'm going to sleep. I'm going to sleep on a Casper mattress. Casper is a sleep brand that makes expertly designed products that are going to help you get your best rest one night at a time couple of cool things about this. Casper products are cleverly designed to mimic human curves, providing supportive comfort for all kinds of bodies, including my body, which is a chef body. The Casper, the original Casper mattress combines multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep service with the right amount of both sink and bounce. Did you know that mattresses get judged on that stuff? Sink and bounce? Did not know. With over 20,000 reviews and an average of 4.8 stars across Casper, Amazon, and Google, Casper is fastly becoming the internet's favorite mattress. Casper has two other mattresses as well, the Wave and the Essential. The Wave features a patent-pending premium support system to mirror the natural shape of the body. The Essential has a streamlined design at a price that won't keep you up at night. 
because you're going to be sleeping on your Casper. And the convenience. Here's the deal. Affordable prices because Casper cuts out the middleman and sells directly to you. Hassle-free returns if you're not completely satisfied and it's delivered right to your front door in a small, oh my God, how do they do that size box? Don't forget, free shipping as well. You want to get a Casper mattress, you're going to do this. You're going to get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com forward slash chef. At the end, put in the promo code chef. Don't forget, terms and conditions apply. I'm going to say this one more time. You're going to get $50 towards a select mattress by visiting casper.com forward slash chef. At the end, put in the promo code of chef at the checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Make sure you get your best night's sleep on Casper. So you guys for 20 years owned a hair salon. Uh, yeah, more than 20 years, actually. 27 years. And, so, and, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> this is most of the show when you have three people on is go aheads. So, so what, so why did you make the move from what I would assume is a successful salon business into the restaurant world? We had a great salon business. Um, we had spa, we had did hair, we had a tannin salon in there. And um, it was 27 years. I was cut, that was, Carla did it for 27. I did it for 16. I had gone to Northeastern and got my degree in marketing and didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And we had a really huge clientele and we would always after work go by my mother and father's house and have dinner and there'd be like five, six, seven things on the stove every single night. And then in the winter, they would go to Florida for three months. So Carla and I would go out to dinner every night. And finally, one night, I'm sitting with her in a restaurant, and I looked across, and I said, okay, I'm so done with this shit. And she's like, what? I'm like, every restaurant you go to, you sit there, you get maybe a salad, maybe, I don't know, an appetizer, you get an entree, you might get dessert. I go, I'm bored. I go, I want to be as if you're in Ma's kitchen. I like going home. I like having five or six things on the stove. I like sharing. I like having all these different flavors together. And I just looked at her, and I said, okay, I'm opening a restaurant. And she just laughed at me. And I said, I said, I'm going to open a restaurant. And she said, oh, yeah, okay, Christine. I said, I'm telling you, I'm opening a restaurant. You have three months. Are you coming with me or not? Wow. She's like, you lost your mind. I never worked, neither one of us never worked a day in our life in a restaurant. We never hosted, waitress, cooked, nothing. And she goes, well, how are you going to do that? I go, I'm just going to do it. I go, look it. Common sense is common sense. Hard work is hard work. Hospitality is hospitality. Numbers is numbers. I go, how difficult could this be? Thank God I was so friggin' naive. That's all I can say. <laughs> so I went next morning. We go, we tell my parents. My father's like, that's fabulous. I'm going to go look for a location. I'm like, holy shit. They're, they're taking this seriously. I'm like, so then I go to my brother who used to get restaurant groups together and I said, he's going to kill me. He's going to say, you absolutely lost your mind because you never worked in a restaurant. You know nothing what you're talking about. He goes, oh, you girls would be fabulous. I was like, oh, shit. I don't know if I really wanted to hear that because now I got to really follow through. Sure. Within three months, we did a business plan. Plan. My best friend, he's my accountant. He's like another brother to me. He um, helped us with our business plan. And I was like, why do I need a business plan? I, I know what I'm going to do, but you needed a business plan. <laughs> I really was like adamant. I'm like, I don't need a business plan. I'm like, I, we started the other ones. We didn't have business plans. We just winged it. Right. So we had this plan and then um, handed our business plan in on a Thursday. And on a Friday, we're walking by um, in the, our neighborhood in the North End that we grew up. And 
I walked over to this restaurant. It used to be an Italian restaurant, and then it was um, a Thai restaurant. And I said to Carla, this is my restaurant. And she goes, well, that's good, but the guy only bought it seven months ago, and it's not your restaurant. I said, this is my restaurant. Let's go in. We'll make an offer. She's right. like, you lost your mind, had a huge fight. I go, good, I don't need you. I'll do it myself. So that was on a Friday. On a Sunday morning, we woke up. She calls me over to her house. She's like, get over here. She had punched in restaurants for sale in Boston, and the first thing that popped up was this space. We went on that Monday, put money down, and ended up opening up a restaurant. All, um, it was all mostly my mother's recipes. Right. Based on my mother and grandmother's recipes. And then we improvised our own and brought things in that we liked. And from there, that was our first restaurant. And Carla can tell you about our second restaurant. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> so I thought crazy, but she's right. You know, it's all the same thing, just a different product. It's quality control. And um, funny enough, I mean, we joke about it. She says, oh, I wouldn't have done it if I knew. I, it's not true because honestly, we really fell into it right away. We felt really comfortable. We didn't find it difficult. I mean, except, you know, we were used to doing long hours. Right. So that was fine. You know, um, we had, to be honest with you, we, you know, went in there and I guess we learned how to cook three weeks before. This is the funniest part about it. We never cooked. Right. Uh, my mother always cooked in our house and would get out of her kitchen. I don't know if your family is like that, your grandmother, but. <laughs> we, we, we were a friendly kitchen. Yeah, no, it wasn't in my house. My mother's still not a friendly kitchen. On holidays, my mother still does all the cooking. Love it. And she wants no help. The only thing she wants you to do is to um, drain the pasta out of the big pan because the water's too heavy for her. Okay. But otherwise, it's get out of the kitchen. So three weeks before we opened the restaurant, we had our mother come in, and we said, Ma, we need recipes because we can't, you know, teach people things if we don't know the amount and it's different in a restaurant the way you're cooking you know right. everybody has to do things the same so we have to have recipes so we literally had her make something start perfectly before she put the item in weigh it in, in a container or put it inside uh, you know a uh, uh, measuring cup to measure it and we reversed all her recipes so that we could have them and teach our staff wow but uh, yeah i mean it was honestly it's really funny because I didn't cook because I didn't have to, but we started cooking immediately at the restaurant. We hired nobody that cooked before. We taught everybody how to cook. We don't wow. hire professional cooks. And the funny thing about it is just by being in our mother's kitchen, watching her all those years, hanging out and talking, it was like so natural. We just knew the recipes in our head. We, we knew how to do them. Right. And all of a sudden it was, okay, I could have been doing this all along. I just didn't try it. But um, we... Opened the first restaurant. We had that restaurant for eight years and had a fabulous business. We were down by the Boston Garden where the Celtics place, the Bruins. We were in right. our old neighborhood. And then um, the bomb dropped. Our landlord tripled our rent. No. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was like, okay, it came out of nowhere. And there was no room for growth there. There was sure. no lunch business could have done. We couldn't do outdoor seating. And we are like... Because my sister actually said, go F yourself. Right, uh, of course. Straight up him, and he said, where are you going to go? She goes, I want to tell you something. She said, I'll close the restaurant and go to Italy for a year on a vacation. And we told him, to be honest, we do this because we love it, not because we have to. So sure. we're not being held over the battle for you. I have right. other options. And so 
legitimately two days later, we found a location. And wow. this is the funniest because this uh, Boston property who owns our property now, for two years had been asking us if we'd go do another restaurant in one of their locations, their properties. And we were like not interested in doing a second restaurant. And just by coincidence, my brother had rented um, in their high rise. And my brother calls us and said, look it, you know, downstairs is an empty space. It's an empty warehouse. It's been there for like 60 years. Why don't you go to go look at it? And it literally took us two days and we had another location. So we're wow. on the waterfront. Um, we have 180 seats inside. We have almost 80 seats outside. We have the whole view of the city. Our, our building actually just faces the whole city, all the high rises, beautiful lights, the water's behind us. So, you know, what they say is turn uh, lemons into lemonade. I guess we did. It was, you know, it was a blessing. <laughs> for so how, I mean, so how big was your first space? First space? Our first space was about 120. Okay. On so game you know, night, we fit 180. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, trust me, I had I had one of those restaurants as well. Uh, you know, I was I was allowed to have 36, but somehow I ended up getting the uh, putting tables out front and, and raising it to you know 66. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so funny. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. It's so funny. Go ahead. Well, it's funny because you know we had limited amount of seats, but I was always working the front. So Christina and I are both in the kitchen. We're the chefs. Um, we do the menu, the recipes, the food costs, the ordering of, you know, the products and the teaching of the recipes. But at nighttime, Christine usually expedites and then I'm on the floor. Right. Um, I go to every table and greet my guests all night. But it's funny for that small space. I was like, okay, I did this when I was hairdressed and I learned how to book. And so we're going to book the same way. And so it's so funny because people would call and say to me they wanted to come into the, for the Celtics game. And I'd say to them automatically, well, to be honest with you, I have a reservation at 5.30. And I would tell them the same thing. I'd book the second reservation first. I'd tell them I had a reservation at 5.30. I can give you a 4.30, but I need the table back at 5.30. Yeah. And so literally we would do, you know, almost three turnovers just before a Celtics game because it was just somebody being out there and being organized. Sure. Absolutely. We used to have, I had a very small restaurant in my first restaurant that I owned. And um, I used to work off of a, a magnetic dry erase board where we would have our tables laid out. But because of how small the restaurant was and the amount of reservations we were getting, we were constantly moving tables. And we would tell people right up front, if you're here, if it's two people, we would, we, we, our, our goal is to have you in and out in one hour. If it's more than two people, we have, our goal is to have you in and out in two hours. And oh, you did better than an hour and a half. Yeah. I, I mean, look, it was, it was one of those things that, that people just got and they understood. And, you know, we were in a, we were in a tough section of the neighborhood. It was really a tough section of the neighborhood. Um, so coming from, I mean, look, coming from 120 seats up to 260 seats, especially during the summer, that's a massive change. You know, I mean, everything's got to be moved in a different way. You're doubling the size of your staff, you know, your costs are going up and the, and not only that, but the size of the restaurant is just a massive undertaking how did you guys do in that transition i called it my i call it my monster well we shut down our restaurant and we had probably 30 something 40 employees at the time and um their main concern we took them over to see the space was are we open sundays and i said no 
We don't open Sundays the same as we don't open here. And everybody was so happy and relieved because they're all family people and have children. And Sunday's a very important day to them. And, and Sunday's important to us. We do not work Sundays. It was almost a deal breaker when we signed this lease. I, the day before, no, the day of signing it, they were like, so you're going to open Sundays? And I said, absolutely not. The, the deal's off. And they're like, you wouldn't do that. I'm like, I absolutely would do that. Sunday is family day. You know, I said to me, at some point, you got to trust us. You're burning my sister and I out. You're burning my staff out. You're burning my equipment out. And yeah. I'm not going to sit there in the neighborhood, you know, the area it's in, even though it's the prime location in Boston, on a Sunday, it does get quiet. Or it's people that are just strolling around with families and really aren't dining. They're grabbing like coffee and a muffin somewhere. So we decided we wouldn't open. But the transition this is amazing, and I, I don't understand how it happened. Three months into it, we, we took all our help. We were closed for about three and a half months. We paid our entire staff for those three and a half months because it wasn't fair for them. They needed this income. Sure. And did we pay ourselves, Carla? I don't think so. We <laughs> yeah. remember back, no. I know. I'm like, I don't think so. And um, three months into it, we, we role-played, believe it or not. We set up the restaurant three weeks before we opened, and we actually role-played. And we had half the staff sit in the dining room as if they were guests, and they ordered every single thing on the menu. And my service waited on them as if they were guests. We had 80, we switched to uh, 80 staff members about. Oh, my we, God. We increased that much, yes. Sure. So we role-played. Um, three months into it, I have to say, I was, standing against the window in the bar and I looked at my sister and her husband's our GM and I started laughing and they're like, what do you find so funny? I'm like, I'm trying to figure out, did we miss the party? Because <laughs> I don't know how we went from there to here without a glitch. Although there was one glitch. This, this is, we were, we do all homemade breads, all homemade pizza dough, homemade pastas. Um, everything's fresh for the day. But we actually, um, when we got into the space, we got new pizza ovens, different from our old ones, and um, they weren't working, just weren't working right. All the pizzas were burning. We go to our dealership. We're like, this isn't working out. Get me new ovens. They rip them out. They put new ovens in. And I'm like, come here. These aren't working. Everything was black, burnt in 30 seconds, and soggy wet. Oh, God. So then they rip them out again. I'm like, let's try a new company. They put them in. I'm like, what the hell is going on with this? Something's wrong here. Finally, they send all these chefs in from all over the country and stuff, their <laughs> whole team. But I'm like, they're like, oh, it's working. I'm like, don't let me stab you right now. I said, yeah. the pizza just took 30 minutes to cook. It's an eight-minute pizza, and it's not even cooked. I go, get out of my restaurant now. I was like, this is not going to work. Got new ovens in. Wow. I got to be honest with you. I said to them, wherever you getting your stones made and they're like what are you talking about i go are you having your stones manufactured somewhere else and they were like oh my god yes i go well that's the problem i go something is different in the stones i go and don't tell me i'm the only person that's having this problem right now right. go to find out down the road other people were having it they were calling us because they heard about us having this problem so that was i'd say it was a thursday uh, we were supposed to open on the Tuesday. I walked out of the restaurant. I'm like, I am friggin' done with this shit. I am done. I don't care if we ever open this restaurant because it was a major part of our business. And I was just so pissed. And they're like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? 
on a Friday morning, I woke up and I called my sister and her husband and I said, okay, this is the deal. We're opening Tuesday. They're like, you can't open. You don't have the oven. <laughs> I'm like, we're opening Tuesday. I go, listen, I'm more than just pizza. I'm a lot more than just pizza. Right. I go, when the oven's fixed, it's fixed. So we opened the restaurant and all my guests, because the location I was in before was close to the Boston Garden and all the events, it was like people had to get in and out. It was a very fast rushed business, like probably four nights out of the week. So a lot of them would get pizzas. They never got to try my other entrees and all my chipinos and my Branzinos and all different pastas and stuff. So I put a notice on the door. I said, look at pizza ovens are down. I put a notice on the menu. The hostess told you you had three opportunities to walk out if you really wanted pizza. Right. So everybody stayed. It was working out great. They're like, Holy shit, I never tried your Chipino before. I never <laughs> tasted this. I can't believe what I was missing. It's amazing. So that was probably for about six weeks. And then the ovens were fixed. But the response was so good on all my other food that I told everybody the ovens were still broken for another two months so that they had to try all my regular entrees <laughs> and stuff. Do it out of Because everybody... The pizza is an afterthought now. They'll actually take it to go home and they get all the other food. Well, it's so, so, it's, it was, so it's so funny to watch in, in America the way that people eat Italian food. <clears throat> because, I, and I hate to say this, but, but you guys know what I'm talking about. The Italian food experience in the United States on average is Olive Garden. Yeah. People assume right. that that is true Italian food. And and look, I hate to piss off Olive Garden, but it's not. When you go to a place like yours or you go to a place like a Villa de Roma in Philadelphia, you go to a Vetri, you know, which we've talked about. Yeah. That's Italian food. That's that deep roots of that. Um, it, it's it's not endless breadstick and salad bowls. No. Well, it's funny because my husband's family, this is Kyla, comes from the Midwest. And until they started coming to my restaurant, they didn't know what Italian food was either. No. For them, buying, eating pasta was going, you know, you go to Walmart and you buy a 20-pound bag of pasta, you know, <laughs> and you buy a ragu sauce to throw on. Yeah. And it's not that they didn't want to try it. They just It wasn't available for them to no. try. They didn't mm-hmm. know uh, in most of the smaller towns anything about it. And so I think it's just something people are learning. And even us, like we don't do Italian-American. We do Italian food from the Puglia region of Italy, um, and we don't do spaghetti with meatballs on top of it. And we try to tell people, you know, the meat was a different course to us, so we course it out, you know, and we try to tell them how we try to explain to them. The whole part of our dining at our house was not only the food, it was the sharing, it was the experience, it was talking to people. And so every um, private event we do, um, if it's not a, a... I'm sorry, cocktail hour right. and, and, you know, buffet and stations and stuff, it's done family style. And it is so amazing because all the corporate offices around us, we're in the financial district also, they love it. They said that they spend more time talking than they do yep. autumn and food trying to, uh, you know, see if they have the dish in the right place for each person. Right. So it's really a big hit. 
RX Bar guys, guess what? They are now sponsors of our show. We're talking about whole food protein bars with simple, real ingredients. One of the neat things about these bars, ingredients are right on the front of it. It tells you exactly what's going to be in there. One of my favorite things is there's zero BS. That's the way that it works, okay? Um, all of the bars are made with 100% whole ingredients. And it, look, it, it's just straightforward. Um, they label the core ingredients, egg whites, dates, and nuts on the front of every single package. All right. Um, the taste in these, especially with the chocolate stuff, is 100% real cacao and coconut and all the good stuff. For me, I love the chocolate peanut butter bar. I have a little bag that I carry inside of my briefcase. It's like a uh, like it's just a little bag of goodies that I have in there. I've got like, you know, a couple pens and pencils and I've got some hand sanitizer. So get over there, check it out, because you know what? Here's the deal. It's like eating three egg whites, two dates, and six almonds in every single bar. All right. It turns out that a lot of the food ingredients actually taste really good. You can taste the cacao. You can taste the fruit and the spices, like sea salt that they do on one of their caramel bars. These things come in 11 different flavors. Try them all. I love them when I get breakfast. I always try to throw one down when I'm on the plane. It just kind of calms me down a little bit as well as feeds my belly so I'm not gurgling while I'm up there on the plane. So everybody get over there. You have to go to rxbar.com forward slash Chef Duffy and you guys are going to get 25% off your first order. 25% off your first order. I highly suggest you get the chocolate peanut butter. It's the one that I like. When you get to that end, put in the code Chef Duffy and you're going to win that 25% off. Well, and I, and I, I mean, family style is a great way to go. And the fact that you guys are literally taking it and not, and not, you know, you're, you're standing to your, your standards, which is, is what a lot of people don't do. I mean, and, and pardon my French for saying this, I'm a pretty straightforward guy, but it takes a set of balls to quit doing what you guys were doing to go into a space and open it up the way that you guys did. I mean, you guys are the type of person that calls me six months after they open and say, we're, we're in trouble now. You know, we need I help. Well, I think the difference is that we did have that basic business. You know, I opened my right. first business at 21 years old. And like we said, numbers are numbers, quality control, marketing. It's just a different product. And that's what is possibly very hands-on. I mean, Christina and I, this is, we tell people, when they come into our restaurant, we tell our, our employees, when a guest comes into our restaurant and they don't like something, if they don't like something, they're not going out and saying Nebo was right. not good only. They're saying the Pilates sisters fucked up. Excuse my language. We, no. they, we are Nebo. Yeah. I mean, that's it. And so much so that my mother's known. I mean, everybody knows my mother. You know, it's, we have branded ourselves more than we've branded our restaurant. Right. Well, and that's, I mean, that's a big thing. I mean, people, people buy into people. You know, I mean, people go into restaurants because they obviously they want to try something. But when you have a personal touch on everything that you do and, and, and as a business coach and as a restaurant coach and as a consultant and a speaker, and we talked about this yesterday, people are buying into you guys. You know, you guys are putting your name at the forefront of this entire product. So it's not that I just ordered the, you know, it, it, it's not that I just ordered the Chipino. I had your Chipino because you are probably the one who's walking around the dining room afterwards saying, hey, what did you think about that? Did you like that? Absolutely. How was that? You know? And it was funny because, for instance, our bread. Christina said that we only had one glitch when we opened. Well, we almost had another one. <laughs> the La Mama, which is the starter for our bread. Okay. Uh, we do a potato-based bread. We make these big loaves. We uh, let them sit overnight after they're baked, and then we cut them, and then we grill them. And wow. it's amazing that, that that starter is over 120 years old. My grandmother right now would be 128 years old. So this wow. is how old the starter was. And for years, 
you know, we have people making this bread and the family. Well, all of a sudden, we open this restaurant. All the old timers are gone. They're not making bread anymore. So we're the only ones making it in the restaurant. And we're closed now for three and a half months because we're doing another restaurant. Right. And me never being a baker, both of us never being a baker, we're like, oh, my God, what if this starter dies? Because we're not using it. Right. And so I got online and started reading. And I got the you know, starter and I divided it into uh, 12 different buckets. And I put some on my counter and some in the refrigerator and somewhere it was warm. And every day it was an experiment. I was trying to feed them. Well, it's really funny because, you know, I, I got down to about six of them. And so now I'm working with that. But now they're doing a build out on the restaurant and we have to be at the restaurant for the build out. <laughs> so this is not a lie. Every friggin' day we would pack up these containers of starter. Oh, my God. Put them inside. Bring them to the restaurant. Time every eight hours that we had to feed them. And then we had to put them back in the car at nighttime to take them home with us. And this went on. This literally went on. We had managers feeding it. We had people trying to help. Honestly, it was my biggest fear because for me to say to a family, the family members that I lost this whole. Oh, sure. Would have been like shocked. And by some miracle, when they started building the restaurant at nighttime, we would put it inside the room to have the hot water heaters. Right. And so we put all the starters on trays and would cover them with blankets. And that's how they ended up growing. And that was like the nearest thing to disaster we felt when I tell you. That's great. It, it's but like it is, when you're, go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. I interrupted you. You know, it is a personal thing. It's when we put our bread out that, you know, this is the love that went into it. This is what we did. And the stories that go along with the food, you know, last Monday night, Christine and I spent three and a half hours with about 14 of our uh, newest employees. And I said to them, you know the recipes. I mean, you know the menu. And you know how to give service. Service to me is, you know, you put nice, clean silverware on. You make sure the table's lined up. The water's there. Hospitality is totally different. It's when somebody comes to the door. You meet them. Hello, how are you? You walk them to the bathroom. Can I call a cab for you? I mean, whatever it takes. Yeah. That's hospitality. But the thing that makes us different different is the story. And so I said to them, I'm going to spend the next three and a half hours with you telling you about our story, the neighborhood we grew up in, the recipes and when we ate this food and what the tra tradition was and, you know, um, what part of Italy it came from and the photos on the wall, because all the photos on the wall in our restaurant, my sister and I took. So there's wow. photos of my mother's, my mother's neighborhood, my mother's backyard in Italy, my father's um, you know, came from Roma's family, so streets in Rome. Right. And so for us, it's the whole story. It's not about just the food, the service, and the hospitality. It's our lives. It's the story of our lives. Yeah. And that's and that's and that's a huge part of what you guys are doing right. Because a lot of people would tell you right off the bat, look, if I sat down with you guys, I'll be dead honest with you. If I sat down with the two of you and you said, we want to open a restaurant and this is what we're going to build it on, I would say, yeah, I don't know if I want to work with you guys. Of course. <laughs> because because of the fact that, that you're going against what it is that everybody does. But the way that I see the success of your restaurant for the things that you guys have done is very simple. One, it comes through education. 
people talk about upselling all the time. It's a constant word that's used within restaurants. And I always tell people, stop upselling, educate your staff, and the upselling will happen naturally through the education, through the comfort of the menu. Because guess what? When you're making your chipino and I sit at that table and I say, hey, I'm allergic to scallops. Can I have that without scallops? And you say, you know what? I'd love to do that for you, but we use scallops in the broth for the thing and blah, 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 and this and that. Then that's knowledge. Because I always say that as soon as a server goes into the kitchen and or as soon as they say to me, hold on, let me check with the chef or let me check with the kitchen. I automatically have a bad taste in my mouth because that means to me that you as the owners, you as the chef, you as the operators are not investing enough time through the education of your staff because hospitality will fix anything. It'll fix anything. If I'm waiting for a pizza for 30 minutes, guess what? Hospitality is going to fix that. You know what? I waited a little bit, but when I got that pizza, it was awesome. But if we ignore you for 30 minutes, you know what? I waited forever and I finally got the pizza. It wasn't even worth waiting for. Well, it's really you know? funny you say it because we had a, a, something, an incident that happened the other night. Um, you know, we have a really busy restaurant. It's a big restaurant. Yeah. It's lively. Everybody comes out of work. The bar fills 10 deep. You know, we're right in the middle of the financial district, all the best hotels around the city. And so this couple came in and I noticed not even five minutes later, they were walking out, they were walking to the door. So I said to one of my hostesses, a fairly new hostess, I said, can you tell me what's going on? And she said, well, they're leaving. They said it was too noisy. I said, did you get a manager? And she said, no. I said, excuse me one second. So I walked over to them and I said, hi, I'm Callum. I'm the owner. I said, I heard that I said you weren't happy with the noise level. I said, so you're choosing to leave. And they said, yeah. And the guy said, you know, it's not the first time I did this. I said, you know, I apologize. I wish I could say that we had a quiet area. We don't. It's packed right now, I said. And unfortunately, I said, no matter how many sound barriers we put, this is what happens. I said, so can I do something for you? Would you like me to call another restaurant nearby and get you a reservation right now? Wow. And they were blown away. And the gentleman said, you would do that for us? I said, of course. My... I said, all I want is for you to be happy. I said, and if tonight that doesn't work for you, I hope you come back and give us another try. I said, but you're in town. I said, and I would love to call someone else. I said, I can recommend a couple of restaurants and make a phone call and get you a table. And I think they were blown away by that. Of course they were. And I can tell you now, they're not going to go out and say now, oh, Nebo was so noisy. It was ridiculous. They're going to go out and say, you know, we went to Nebo. It was a little noisy for us, but I couldn't believe it. The owner got us a reservation at another another restaurant. Yeah. That, that so itself. So I have something that I coach all the time when I talk to people, and it's very simple, and it's called exceeding the expectations. Okay. It's our job as operators to exceed the expectations of what's happening within the four walls of the business that we own. If somebody walks in the front door and they sit down and they say, well, I, you know, I I, want to have gray goose. Well, I'm sorry, we don't have gray goose. And then the, then the guy says, well, what do you have? Well, hold on, let me check. Like we've already, we've already lost that guest in that world. But if as a server, I can walk over and he says, I want a gray goose. And they say, I'm sorry, we don't have gray goose, but we do have kettle Belvedere and effing, you know, whatever it works out to be. There's something to be said about that educational portion of it. And for you to walk up to somebody and say, let me get you a reservation in another spot. You anticipated what the problem was immediately. They were probably a little bit of an older couple. They couldn't hear as well inside of the restaurant, but they're going to come back to you no matter what. They're going to come back for lunch. They're going to come back for a five o'clock meal. That's the way that it works. How hard. And and the funny part about that is how hard was it for you to do that? It It doesn't take a lot. Most of the time to correct the situation. Yep. 
And that's why you're like, don't let them get out that door without correcting it. Yeah, Whether don't let them leave. Not, let them leave happy. Especially in this, especially in this day and age where it's so easy for us to pick up our phone and just to start complaining. You know, oh, I, I mean, yeah. for, for you guys, it's a matter of you guys are in the restaurant on every single day. And I, and we, I, I, I talk about this all the time about the need and the, 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 the importance of being with inside of your business, especially when it comes to a restaurant, because you are putting also, in. these days more than any days with all the competition and the amount of restaurants that are just exploding around us. I think you have to be hands-on and people want to see you. You know, I've gone to restaurants that the food was okay, but I was good friends with the managers and the GMs and I loved the staff. So I took the okay food because the whole overall experience was great. Right. But I think if you get the combination of the, the hospitality, the service and the food, you're golden. But yeah. people want to feel important. And, you know, I tell my staff daily that, we, can, we have a very high-end clientele. We're very fortunate. We have the businessman. We have a lot of money, wealthy people. We have a lot of athletes that come in. And I say, yes, I know you think they're the VIP, but to me, the real VIP is the guy or the woman that worked three jobs like my father did, who yep. saved up every month to take his whole family out to dinner because they don't know when they're going to get back here again. Right. You know, or once here they can go out to dinner. That's the VIP to me. Yeah. So everybody is very important and you need to, you, you need to, as the owners, give your staff the enthusiasm, let them have the passion and you need to, uh, to impress on them that how important it is to make the guests happy. But along with that, I don't say let a, a guest be abusive. I don't believe the guest is always right in that sure. theory. But most of the time, things are a very simple fix and you have to go out of your way, but they do like to see the owners. They Absolutely. do like to own it on there. They need to see the GM, somebody who's a regular there all the time yep. that they can relate to. You know, I, we, I do a lot of stuff with, uh, with comment cards with my clients because a, a, a lot of times we bypass the basic, simple grassroots communication with our guest. We bypass what it is that they want. And some of the stuff that I talk about all the time is I make comment cards. On the bottom of the comment card, it says, thank you so much. I don't want your birthday. I don't want your anniversary. I, I, I don't want to know when you're, you graduated from high school. That doesn't mean anything to me. What I want to know is what you thought about the property, the place that you were sitting inside of. What was your favorite thing? What was the favorite thing that you had on the menu? What was your favorite drink? Why or, or what would you like to see on the menu? Because these are the people that are paying our bills. So me as the chef, if and again, I'm a chef, I try to build chef-driven restaurants, but me as the chef, in reality, it doesn't come down to what I want on the menu because I'm not paying the bills. The guest that yeah. is walking through the front door. And Carla, or I, I can't, I think it was Carla, you said guest, which is the most important word that we can use when it comes to the restaurant. Because that's what they, they are not customers. So customers browse. Our guests, they sit, they stay with us. They talk to us. Then they talk nicely my, about us. This is my home you're coming into. Yeah. You know, years ago, I went to this restaurant in Miami. And we walked in. It was a beautiful restaurant. And so we walk in and they take my whole family and they lead us to the very back of the restaurant. But on the way to the back of the restaurant, when they went to sit us at this large table, every single person that worked in that restaurant that I walked by had something to say to me. Sure. Hello, good evening. How are you? 
they acknowledged me. And so I tell my employees all the time, people want to be acknowledged. When you have to go by with drinks, you step aside until the guests go by. You say hi and acknowledge every person that walks by you. You say hello, you say goodbye. You speak in full sentences. I mean, those are all the things. And it's really funny that you mentioned the comment cards because when I started, I worked hairdressing for somebody at 17 years old. And I was there for four years. And the other workers that worked there said to me, oh my God, why do you let him use you like that? You do so much. You do the books, you do that. I go, that's where you are a little confused. I'm using him. I'm learning. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I was educating myself. And I did. I learned how to do the books, the schedule, and I did everything I could. And then at that time, I was the only one out of 13 hairstylists at the time that was having uh, comment cards and taking down people's information. I was watching at the time people that were real estate agents who kept files on clients. And so I said, well, if it works for them, why doesn't it work for me? So the one thing we had in my hair salon for years was a simple card that said, Dear Mrs. Smith, I hope you were pleased with your visit to Giacomo's. If you have any questions concerning your hair, please feel free to give me a call. And so I would tell everybody in my chair when I did the hair, look it, you're my advertisement. I don't advertise in the paper. And so if you go home and you can't do your hair the way I do it, you call me, come back. I'll wash you here. I'll have you do it in front of me and I'll teach you to make, make it look the way I make it look at no charge. Right. At no charge. And people might, my, my, first, my employees were like blown away. Why would you do that? Right. They're your appetite. Sure. And so You're the billboard. Made them feel free to call, tell me what was going on. And it's, you know, it's <clears throat> crazy little things. We always have at least two managers on, if not three, uh, with both of us most of the time. And if we're not there, there's always, three hostesses or four hostesses at the front counter. And we make three table visits to every table. Yep. We Hold walk by and just say a simple hello to see if the water is being poured. Then we walk after they get their food and then we walk by again and we have a simple conversation. I mean, it's all those stupid little extra things of making them feel like you really want them there. And, and it's it's funny that you just finished that by saying it's all those stupid little things, which to you and I, they're stupid. But to the guest, you just made them feel like a full-blown rock star. Absolutely. By using their name, by communicating with them. And and when I do my comment cards, we do a bounce back, which is just a 10% off for your next visit. But the rule is, is when that server sees that 10% card from the, for the next time that they come in, they immediately have to grab a manager. And the manager walks over to that table and says, hey, I see you have one of our, our 10% cards. That means you filled out one of our comment cards. We appreciate you filling that comment card out. And do me a favor, if you see anything tonight that we might have changed or that you'd like to see, please let us know. And then the manager gives that business card because although it sounds, it it sounds simple and basic and stupid to you and me, for me, when I go into a restaurant, if I have somebody's name, I feel like I have a leg up on somebody else. Don't worry about it. I'm going to call Carla. Carla will get us in tonight. Or I'm going to see, here's Carla's card. Call her when you go back in and you feel like you're in the inner circle now. That's right. I had a guest one night, beautiful couple. I could tell that they were, they were just, they were from New York. I could tell they were dressed to the nines, very classy, very funky. And they were eating in the dining room. And on the way out, 
I, I was expediting, so I assumed, you know, people had gone over to the tables and wait staff and this and that. I, on the way out, I said to them, how was your evening? And they looked at me and they said, you're the owner. I said, yes, I'm Christine. They said, can we be honest with you? I said, that's why I'm asking. And they said, it was horrible. And I literally, I cringed. I said, horrible. They said, horrible. I said, are you joking or was it really horrible? And they go, no, it was horrible. I go, we need to sit down right now. We need to talk. I go, tell me every detail of this evening. I Did one thing go wrong, two things, or did the entire evening go wrong? They started naming them. I said, you know what? Stop right there. It was horrible. I said, your evening was a disaster. I go, I don't even know what to say to you, but I will tell you this. I don't know why that happened. We have two managers on the floor. You have two owners on the floor. Did you even attempt to get anyone's attention? And they said, to be honest, we didn't. We right. just took it as managers came over. We said, oh, things are fine. I said, I wish you had told them so we could have resolved it at the spot. I go, but this is not the way we operate. This does not normally happen in my restaurant. And I, I'm taking this personally. I said, sure. so what I need you to do, do you come back? I go, first of all, I'm comping. It was, it was a $400 bill. I said, I'm, oh, I'm comping your entire meal. They're sure. like, no, no, no. I'm like, absolutely. I said, I would expect that if I went out and I had a disaster of an evening. And anybody that's listening, don't try and pull that shit right now. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll find you. I'll find no. you. Right. Yeah. So I said, you know, it, it, you need to be compensated for this. I said, but even me taking care of your whole meal, you are not coming back. I said, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a $250 gift card for you to dine with me again. Because I want you to see what we're really all about. I want you to call me ahead of time. I want you to call my manager. And about six weeks later, they had come back from New York into Boston. And I was in the dining room and I looked over and I saw them. And I'm like, oh my God, you're the beautiful couple that had the disaster evening here. They took a fiddle off and, and they were like, I am so thankful that you invited us back because we just had one of the best dining experiences we've ever had anywhere. And it was, yeah, you, you lost out at the beginning, but I gained because they went and told a hundred people sure. how we made up for that awful evening that they had. Because and nobody deserves to go out, spend their hard work and money exactly. and have a bad evening. The you know, thing I don't care that... if you're going to, to a regular cafe, a coffee shop, you, you don't go with the expectation of having a bad evening and throwing away your money. And not to say that things, things don't go wrong. That Obviously that night went wrong. But it's all in how you handle it. Yes, exactly. And the thing that the thing that got me about what you said was the fact that you said the next time that they were in Boston when they came up here from New York, they weren't even locals. No. no. They weren't yeah. even locals. These were people no, that were people. from New York. They came up to your place, a four hour, whatever it works out to be drive. Yes to get up into your place and you took care of them no matter what. It's not like you said, where do you no. live? And they say, I live around the corner. No. That's and the most way people would have exactly said, well, they don't live local anyways. Who cares? My theory is I have a huge clientele that comes from New York, New Jersey. So they're going to go back to New York and they're going to say, oh, this place was horrid. Or they're going to go back to New York and say, you know, something was off with the evening, but they comped my bill and they gave me a gift card and we're going back there. And then when they went back home again, they told everybody what a great experience they had. And and for you guys, you guys have been in the in the service industry no matter what for 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 years. For years. I mean, you opened in 2005 with your first property. Years old. I started the service industry at 17 years old. Yeah. 
So, I mean, so you're 40 in, you're 41 in, you're, you're you know, or whatever, yeah. you know, whatever that is to get into that. But, but you know, the difference between somebody who's just bitching and complaining to get a free gift card and the people that are genuine about it, because it, it's, Absolutely. it's a tough move, you know, especially in this day and age, people know, you know, there, there's, there's, I look at comp reports on a daily basis. When I talk to my managers and in and, and properties that I oversee or that I'm involved in or whatever it is, we discuss comps and we talk about the comps. And one of the things that most restaurant owners uh, really don't pay attention to is that void and comp, which you know on average should be around two to 3% if that's the case on an average night. I've walked into restaurants that have 15, 18, 21, 22% comp rates. Oh, we, have very, we have every comp that goes on every night, yeah. even if we're not here. We can be on vacation for three weeks and we still know every day what's going on. If there's any, anything we have, I have to be honest with you. We have a, a nice managerial team. They take complete pride in our restaurant. They feel the same love for it that we feel. And so those little details, they pay attention to us and they, they make us aware of it, why it happened or you know what happened. It's, I don't think it happens as often as people think, um, at least not with us. We don't get that that often. Right. I do know in other places it does happen, but I think because we are aware of it and how we handle the situation, we also have a big process of how we go through things. Um, for instance, we have the largest gluten-free um, menu probably on the East Coast. We started 13 years ago. I saw that. Yeah. I can't believe it. It's yes, crazy. 99% of our menu we can make gluten-free. <laughs> and when I tell you, you can't tell the difference. You can't tell the difference. All right. So it's hold on. Challenge. So here we go. Here we go real quick. So on your gluten, this is a dinner menu, which is the gluten-free menu. And I'm going to do this real fast. We've got olives. We've got salumi, prosciutto di parma, burrata, fungi, selvaggi, polpo, uh, brajol, budino, frito misto, cozze, calamari fritti, salsicci al brace, rucola, Caesar, bib. Uh, then you go into handmade pastas. All of your pastas are gluten-free with this with this level of stuff. Fratti yeah, avolo, uh, capsante, fungi, alavangol. Oh, my God. It continues to go on. Then you've got a second course. Then you've got, oh, my God. How, so how are you guys doing? What are you, using for your, what are you using for your pastas? We do veal milanese. We do a rice flour. Um, okay. We do the veal milanese in-house. In we, do, we do pizzas. I mean, we, we did this menu because my husband's friend at the time told us that he found out he was celiac. And when he was telling us this, this was almost 12 years ago, he was telling us this. The guy next to him who came and dined in our restaurant three times a week said, oh, I've been had celiac for eight years. And I said, wait a minute. I thought you were only eating that way because you wanted to lose weight. And he said, no, I can't, I can't eat it. I'm gluten free. And so jokingly, I said to our friend, don't come to my house because I'm not doing any special meals for you. And of course, as soon as I said it, I went home, my sister and I, we started playing them on with recipes. And three months later, we spent a shitload of time training our kitchen staff and our dining room staff and we blew this menu out when nobody was doing gluten-free items like this. I mean, nobody. It was hard to even get product. It was amazing. But there's this whole process. Somebody tells the hostess. The hostess asks, does anybody need a gluten-free menu? Then the hostess goes over and tells the server, seat number three is gluten-free. And then the server takes the order, writes it down, writes gluten-free next to it, needs to go immediately to a manager and say, table 24, seat three is wow. gluten-free. The manager goes to the kitchen to make sure it's on the slip. And this is, we do a huge gluten-free business. Well, I mean, with the a menu of that size, I wouldn't doubt it. Okay. And then the manager comes back and checks. The, the, they're double-dished so we know which gluten-free on the counter. 
Right. So there's a big process we go through. And so that's just one more way we try to make our guests happy. But it feels educating. And where most people see that, you know, I mean, look, I'm a chef. And one of the things that I've done in restaurants that people don't like that I do is I talk to chefs all the time and I say, it doesn't matter if somebody has an allergy to something. How can you be pissed off at that person or how can you get upset with that? They're coming in here to spend their money with us. It's the same as people bitching, you know, chefs and cooks bitching moan about to go orders. Well, what's the problem? You got to throw it in a to go box. You got to sell that product. They thought about (laughs) us while they were sitting at home so much that they wanted our product that they're not going to take up a seat within our dining room and they're going to take this product home with them. And you're going to bitch about that. You know, you have to look at it from every single angle across the board. There's there's way too many opportunities to screw things up and for, for people to not come back. But from one of the things that I like about you guys is very simple. One, you're super open and honest about your business. You can tell that it's your personality that runs that business as well as brains behind that. But at the same time, you're guest first. And that's what this business is about. It's about guest first. I don't care that you don't want to have olive oil put on the table. I'm just not going to put it there. If you don't want it, great. I'll take it away from the table. It doesn't matter to me. If you don't want to, if you want to have a pizza that's made with rice flour, go for it. I made that option for you. And it comes down from the ownership to be able to distinguish with our, with our, with our diners, as well as with our staff on what it is that they need, you know, by talking to the guests, by communicating with them, by finding out the people that are spending money within your four walls, what it is that they want is important. And then from there, they trust you. And then they don't want to just have the pizza. They want to have the cioppino. They want to have all the extra stuff that they've never had before because they trust you. And that's basically what it is, the relationship that you build it so people trust you. Yes. And that's, and that's the thing that I find that we're missing in most, in most restaurants, bars and nightclubs is we're losing that personal avenue. We're losing the reason why we got into the industry in the first place, which is all very simple. It's about hospitality. So, okay. I got a couple of, I got a couple quick questions for you guys that I just want to go through. What is the number one thing that you are going to tell people that want to open a restaurant? What's the number one thing that you want to tell them? Don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) Keep cutting Um, hair, girls. Keep cutting hair. I'm going to be honest. If you, well, if it's a chef and he wants to open a restaurant, I would say to him straight out, you need business skills more than you need cooking skills. It all the time. Because you could be, be the business. best chef in the world, but you if you don't have any business skills, you're in deep trouble. And ladies, we're you going say you can, We're going boozing the three can, of us. Excuse me? We're going boozing the three of us because we live in the same city. Yes, <laughs> city of exactly. So, yes, you could actually say, you know, well, I'm going to hire somebody to take care of the business side of it. I'm going to tell you straight out. There's not a friggin' person in this world that I would partner up in a restaurant and trust other than my sister or right. my brother, but he's not in the business. That is the only person. So I don't care if you took on a business partner. You need to know the financial side of the restaurant, not only the cooking side of the restaurant. That's the first thing. The second thing I would say is if you do not absolutely love people, you do not belong in this business. It is a people business. You have to love people. Otherwise, there's no reason you should be in this business. And I would say one more thing. This day and age, I would say think very, very strongly about opening a restaurant because what I see in Boston, I all over the country, there's such a restaurant boom going on that it's exploding, that there are not enough workers 
There were not as enough quality help to hire. And there's just too many restaurants right now that the business is getting thinned out and spread, spread out. And it's much tougher today than it was even, I'd say, five years ago, eight years ago. You know, it's just you're spreading the, the same amount of people, but you're spreading it out. And, you know, you have to plug away and work at it every single day. Every day, even if we're not in the restaurant, I tell my staff, you may not think I'm in that restaurant. I'm working harder on being on the outside of the restaurant to yeah. keep myself relevant. And if you're not willing to do all that, then I think it's not for you. I mean, we are in a world where, and I'll just use the, some of the statistics on Philadelphia, but 22 years ago, we had a little bit, uh, we had about 900 restaurants in the city. We now have over 9,500 restaurants in the city. Okay. And if you think about the fact that in, in 22, 23 years ago, you would go into a restaurant and you would have the best of the best server because that's yeah. who they hired. Now, restaurants are hiring people. And we're, you know, one of the things that I coach a lot of people on is the fact that for us to be able to get the good people, we have to keep and retain those people. We have to cultivate them because yeah. we want them to stay with us because otherwise you have a server who comes in for a month and they leave because they're making, they're going to make more money at the new place down the street. You have people that if they're not believing in you and believing in your business of what you're going to do, and you're not able to, to, to follow through with the promises that you're making to your staff, then you're going to continuously make false promises and you're just going to spend half your time training people and fixing mistakes that people make because you're not spending the time with your staff. The basics of a pre-meal that you do every day yep. and you have every a day, conversation. Twice a day. We do it twice a day, before lunch, before dinner. We have a handbook, a nice thick handbook that tells you every single detail from what you should be wearing, how you should be ironed, who we are, what the restaurant, the history of the, the restaurant, the building that you're in. Yeah. And it, we make it simple. We, I tell my staff, we try to educate you so that you succeed. We want you to succeed. I don't want you to fail. I want you to make money. I want you to have a beautiful life. It's, I want you to buy a house. I tell them, I want you to be able to pay your rent. You know, I try and teach them. I say to them, you know, it takes a simple thing, like ask them if they would like dessert. I know sometimes you feel like you're done with that table, but simple, just as simple as drop the menu off. Because at the end of the day, if you sold three more extra desserts, that's $30 that you brought in at an average 20%, that's $6. You're working five days a week, $30 more of a week. Four, four times 30, 120 a month. The end of the year, you just paid one month's rent. Yep. You know, I say the little things that add up for you. I want you to have a great life. My father worked three jobs. He provided us a beautiful, beautiful life. But I want you to do great every day. And I yep. want to teach you how to be successful. Well, and that's the, and that's what a lot of people don't do because, you know, within restaurants, I, I share numbers with my staff. I'll have a contest and say, Hey, I want to hit $10,000 in food sales today. Who's going to do that for me? First person to hit $10,000 in sales today gets a hundred bucks in your pocket. And then what we do is they chase each other. And then we post the numbers every half, you know, we post them every hour for the first three hours of a shift. And then you post them every half hour because people will start to bust their ass because they want to one, get that money, but two, because they want to be proud about what they did. And if you so make your staff feel person, good, what's that? Absolutely. We have per person averages put up on uh, every day. Absolutely. So, Challenge them. Contest. And then we do a weekly average and we have contests on it. And I have to be honest with you. It's not only a per person average. 
we recently let somebody go that was with us for a long time. He was probably producing more than anybody else was in the restaurants. Right. But he also thought because he was producing, he could do anything he wanted to do. He could come in late. He didn't have to, you know, staff morale went right way down. Yeah. Everybody's watching and saying, wow, sure. look, at he gets to do what he wants. Well, it didn't work that way. Yeah. You know, you have to have a team. You have to work as a team. A very good friend of mine talks and he says it all the time. He's actually my partner in a lot of stuff that I do. And he made a statement to me one time because somebody he, we had we had gone out and we just talked about this on on two, our show two weeks ago. We had gone out and somebody said, oh, my God, it's so nice to meet you guys. I can't believe we have people that are in here as important as you guys. And my buddy looked at him. He said, we're not important. We're valuable. We're valuable to people. We're not more important than anybody else. We're just valuable with what it is that we do. And, and if you think about it, that guy thought that he was important. And you know what? He was valuable to you guys in that situation. But sometimes it's that person who starts to create that issue within the rest of the staff. And my whole staff is more important to me than one individual person because I call so them I the cancer. That, oh, my God. I called that the cancer and the cancer. We got to go drinking, girls. I can't believe you just said that. I can remember on a Friday night, you know how we said it was capacity 120? Well, I think it, it was the playoffs for the Celtics. We had 300 in that restaurant. <laughs> and I'll be honest with you, there's one person I used to call him. I said, I walked right into the kitchen. Uh, it was, when I tell you chaos, and I said to him, you're fired now. Get out. You're the cancer in the kitchen. The whole staff literally went white. They looked at me. My sister, my managers, everybody was like, she just lost her mind. I go, he's a cancer in the kitchen. In 30 seconds, I guarantee you, the eight other people in my kitchen are going to step up and they're going to shine like you've never seen before. And in 30 seconds, my kitchen was flawless. Yep. They were scared and intimidated by this kid. Once I got him out, my kitchen just flew. It was amazing. I believe you hire fast, you fire faster. That's my theory. Absolutely. And if you think about it, it's more important for me, it's more valuable, sorry, for me to have an entire staff that's happy than have a staff that's walking on eggshells because of one asshole who's walking through the dining room who thinks Absolutely. that he's better than everybody else Absolutely. and it's not with it. So, all right, ladies. Well, we have now been on the phone for an hour and 15 minutes. And I, one, love the two of you. Two, I want it when I come to Boston, I fully expect a night on the town. We're oh, going, absolutely. Okay. That's going to happen. no one coming in. We can't I, wait to meet you. I got a lot of fun chefs up there that you guys know. You guys know my buddy Chris Coombs. You guys know my buddy Jason Santos, blue hair and all. We're going out. Absolutely. Absolutely. I hope you get up here soon. I will. Thank well, you so much for inviting us to talk with you today. I thank you guys. Do me a favor real quick. Tell us where we can find you, the name of your restaurant. And then, uh, and then, and then I hate to say that we're going to stop talking for the day, but I'm going to talk to you guys more often. So our restaurant is Nebo Cucina and Enateca. You can just call it Nebo, N-E-B-O. We're at 520 Atlantic Ave, right on the waterfront in Boston, uh, right in the center of the whole city, Rose Kennedy Greenway. When I tell you, uh, right in the middle of everything going on, everything going on. So it's Nebo, and we have a huge bar, full menu, Italian menu from Puglia, and we hope to see you. I love it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, girls, thank you so much. I really want to thank uh, Carla and Christine for hopping on the phone with us for this amount of time. If you guys get a chance, go over to their website as well, which is neborestaurant.com. And there's a great little video in there. Plus, there's a little story about these guys um, where they talk about it. And, and ladies, I just want to let you know, oil and onions, I love it. 
I love it. There was Thank something you. about that with my grandmother cooking it the whole nine yards. I, I have one fast story for you. This is my grandmother. Years ago, my sister uh, and and I used to go to my grandmother's house to her apartment that she lived in for like 45 years. And we used to go there and we would put her Christmas tree up for her every year. And I was about 12 or 13 years old and I had won a Christmas tree from Roy Rogers. So, (laughs) and she had it. So fast forward now, I'm 29 years old. I go to the house with my wife uh, at the time and my sister, not that I've had multiple wives, I've only had one, but we go to the house (laughs) and we walk in to put up this Christmas tree that that I won 10, 12, 15 years ago, whatever it was. We walk in and there is one setting at the dining room table. There's a placemat, there's a bowl, there's a fork and a spoon sitting at the dining room table. And it's three of us that went to the house. I walk in, my grandmother looks at me and says, do you want some soup? And I said, of course I want soup. Grandma, what is it? And it was her cauliflower soup, which was just really simple. A little bit of a chine de pepe. It was a little bit of cauliflower and a chicken broth with peas that were put in at the end just to finish it. It's just the simplicity of that with some shave Romano right over the top of it. And my sister and my sister and my wife look over and they're like, well, where's ours? And my grandmother says, well, this is your brother's. If you want some, you have to ask him for it. And that was it. That was my grandmother. She was a wonderful, uh, wonderful woman. And and I, every I, Italian, that's so funny you say that. Every Italian family only has two children. I say there's three in us. My brother, <laughs> who was the oldest son in an Italian family, so that's one child, and the baby, yeah. who was Christine. So I'm stuck <laughs> in the middle there. So I tell my mother, there's only two children in an Italian family: the oldest son and the baby. And it's so I lost out on that. Yep, it's the truth. Well, ladies, thank you so much for hopping on. It was a true pleasure to meet you. I love your passion for what you guys are doing. I love your approach to the business because it comes down to the very simple part, which is guest first and exceed the expectations. I love it. So thanks, guys. Bye, honey. Bye-bye. All right. So, you know, everybody, this is what I talk about all the time. And and it comes down to the basics of operating this business. You can be the greatest chef in the world, but if you don't have any business mind behind it, you're going to be the greatest chef without any place to cook. And that's a tough thing to do. Um, these uh, these two wonderful businesswomen are, are doing stuff that I love to hear. They're touching the guest one by one. They're communicating with their guests to find out what it is that they want. And they're fixing a problem. They're fixing an issue. You know, I've always said in restaurants, we don't have problems. We have situations that need to be resolved. And a lot of time it just comes down to just sitting and listening to somebody to really find out what it is. You know, Carla spent a tremendous amount of time with a couple that came in out of New York. They had a shitty experience. She listened to them and they were from New York, not Boston. And they came back up to the restaurant and probably raved about it the entire time in between leaving and then coming back for that second visit. So uh, please do me a favor. Check these guys out. They're, they're, they're just, they're, they're awesome. I mean, the personalities between the two of them are great. I really can't wait to get up to Nebo and check it out. Um, that's what we have for our show this week. I appreciate the amount of time that you guys have hung out with us. I got a couple of people that I got to thank. One, I have to thank RX Bar for the sponsorship. Um, for our show. I also want to thank Michelle out at Techno Solutions who does all of our website stuff. Please go to Instagram and Twitter right now. Check out Maggie Gagliardi. That is at M-A-G-Z-A-R-T. She is the one who creates all the amazing promo pieces that we have for the restaurant. Definitely have to go down and say thanks to the boys at uh, RadioInfluence.com for their time, their effort, and everything that they put into making this show happen. Because guess what, my friends? This is episode number 47. 
We have been doing this for 47 weeks, and I love the fact that I get to do it with these guys. Um, get out there. Check it out. My name is Chef Brian Duffy. You can call me Bri Duff. You can call me whatever you want. Talk shit about me on Twitter. I love it. Go over and find me at Chef Bri Duff on Instagram and Twitter. Chef Brian Duffy on Facebook. And thank you all. Go out there. Be nice to people and talk to your guests. Bye-bye. Didn't get Duffified enough? Follow Chef Brian Duffy on Facebook and on Twitter at Chef B-R-I-D-U-F-F. Look for the blue verified check mark to get exclusive content and to see what's coming up on next week's show. This has been Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. This is a Jim Fannin Show Quick Fix on Radio Influence. If you're in management and leadership, and I tell you what, a lot of times it's not the money. It's not the compensation. It's the love that your team feels for each other that's going to hold them together during the really good times when somebody else wants them all. There was a study uh, a few years back with the Fortune 1000. They researched, I believe, 2,500 executives, and they asked them what was the most meaningful part of their job, what, what was important to them. Money, Seth, was actually third on that list. Number one on that list is I'm an integral part of something greater than myself. So if you're the leader of the company, keep talking about the long-term vision. People want to be a part of something greater than themselves. And then the second thing on that list that came out of that survey, I want to be appreciated. We can always find fault in everybody, but you got to throw a few uh, psychological bones out there. We need to acknowledge what they've done right because small successes lead into big successes. The Jim Fannin Show can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.